listening to a message from Red Church in Melbourne, Australia. If you'd like to know more about Red or its ministries, please go to redchurch.org.au. Great to be with you. My name's Mark, if I have not met you. And we have been doing this large-scale series called Come Back Stronger. Asking the question, how do we come back stronger once the pandemic ends? And we return to meeting uh, uh, together as the gathered people of God. But we're actually beginning sort of a sub-series, and it's called The Unveiling. And I'll explain a bit more about what that means, but this is going to be a look at the beginning of the book of Revelation. And we're going to really have this examination of how this book tells us a very important message. And that message, if you want to sum it up, is that Jesus is coming and is bringing heaven down to earth. So let's dig in. Let's have a look at the very beginning of Revelation. Deep breath. It's going to be okay. Revelation is one of those books which elicits many reactions from people, but let's walk together. Revelation 1, we're going to look at verses 1 to 8. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who testified to everything he saw, that is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it because the time is near. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits before his throne and from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and who has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us to be a kingdom of priests to serve his God and Father, to him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. And so shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. One of the messages that Revelation has for us speaks directly into something that we're experiencing at this moment. One of the sort of sayings, if you like, that is part of red is that crisis precedes renewal. That's the idea that whenever someone's gone through a renewal personally in their spiritual life or even a culture or a city or a nation has gone through a revival or awakening, one thing that you notice is that just before that renewal, there was some kind of crisis. And when the pandemic hits at the beginning of this year, there was this sense like, Wow, is this the big crisis that's going to push us into renewal? And I believe crises almost always precedes renewal. But crises doesn't necessarily result 
in renewal. Not always. Sometimes crises can actually mean that the church or an individual continues in complacency and compromise. So Revelation directly speaks into that. But before we can get into that, we've got to understand the background of what's happening in the book of Revelation. Revelation, as we read in the intro, is written by a man called John who has this incredible vision where he is encounters the risen Jesus, the, the universal Jesus, and we're going to get more into that uh, next week. Uh, but that happens to him when he's on an island. He has this image literally into the throne room of God, which rocks his world. And this happens when he is experiencing a political exile. He was too high profile, a figure in the church to probably be executed. The government of the Romans was probably afraid that that would make him a martyr. So instead they put him on this rock in the middle of the sea, isolate and marginalize him in order to actually isolate and marginalize his voice and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why is John there? The world has changed since what was happening in the gospels when Jesus' ministry began. The gospels begin, uh, you think of Luke's gospel, where it talks about this occurring during the reign of Caesar Augustus. Caesar Augustus was the classic Roman Caesar who ruled with order, creating this thing called the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome across the globe. This was a globalized world going all the way from the United Kingdom into Central Asia, down into North Africa. This was a huge chunk of the world became this trading empire under the banner of the Romans. The Jewish philosopher Philo, writing from the Egyptian city of Alexandria, basically said this of Augustus. He cleared the sea of pirates and filled it with merchant shipping. The order that he brought enabled people to travel in safety. That meant the economy grew. Follow continues saying, He gave freedom to every city and brought order where there had been chaos. And so Caesars like Augustus or Tiberius who followed him, who was the Caesar during the time of Jesus in the early church, had this curse blessing thing going on, where in a sense it was curse in the sense that they, you know, acted like gods, that they they had this completely competitive worldview with the worldview of the early church. They believed in the Roman Empire while Jesus was preaching about the kingdom of God. But then also there was this positive side in that because of this order, because bandits and pirates had been brought under the control of the Roman army and navy, it meant that the gospel could go out, that the apostles could travel across Roman roads, that Paul's letters, Peter's letters, could go out by the Roman mail system. But by the time we encounter the time of John, things have changed. A series of crises have hit the Roman world and that long descent which takes several centuries of the decline of Roman power has begun. Earthquakes hit, wars, clashes with other great powers. A pandemic hits the city of Rome, fire and destruction. But what makes all of this worse is a different kind of Caesar where Augustus was the stern, strong Roman Caesar. We then 
a few decades before the book of Revelation was written, we have the crazed, decadent Caesar Nero who begins this persecution, large-scale persecution against the early church. Uh, It's hard to describe just how bad Nero was. I, I struggle to think of another leader in world history who I think was as bad as this man. He was utterly corrupt, utterly vain, and psychotic. He was a man who had no compulsion about killing others. The man even murdered his own wife. Then, when he missed her, he saw a young man on the street who seemed to bear some resemblance to her. This poor man was then kidnapped and effectively remade to look like his wife and then married to Nero. Nero saw the rule of law as more as a platform and politics as a platform for actually his true calling, which he believed was to be an entertainer. When a pandemic and plague hit Rome, devastating the city and the Senate, which was like the parliament, wanted to hear from their Caesar, Caesar decided to make an appearance. He doesn't give up, get up and give some rallying speech or a series of policy decisions to help the the nation deal with or the empire deal with this pandemic. Instead, in front of a worried and anxious Senate, he gives a musical performance based on his own glory with him as the star. Down the front, he has his groupies that he's brought in who are sort of cheering like it's Beatlemania, while behind them, the Roman Senate looks at each other in shock and horror at what's going on. At every moment of crisis, Nero would do these insane, decadent displays, many of which I'm not even going to talk about here because they would move this from being a G-rated live stream into something far different. I'll let you do your own research. Finally, when his own political factions move against him, Nero takes his own life, uttering possibly the most vain final words of a ruler, with me dies an artist. This man simply was incredible. But the terrible thing that he unleashed was a persecution upon the church. When his city of Rome was burnt by a terrible fire, he had to blame someone, as often authoritarian dictators do. And the growing religion of Christianity was there, misunderstood. This growing thing which was mistrusted by many of the elites and even some of the people. And so the blame for this fire was put upon the Christians and Christians were killed. This was the time when some of the apostles lost their lives and the heroes of the church were struck down, those who'd walked with Jesus. Nero's torturous and evil ways of killing Christians extended even as far to use them as human wicks to light his garden. Things had changed since the rule of Augustus and Tiberius, since the early church. This created a sense of chaos and confusion in the Roman world. And this was attempted to be reset by an emperor called Domitian, who was the emperor when John wrote his book of Revelation. Domitian tried to bring order back to the empire by making everyone loyal to Caesar. Every person, didn't matter what religious background you were from, you had to offer religious worship to Caesar as a god. 
And this put the church in this terrible, terrible position. As people unwilling to do this, this brought persecution upon them. This brought pressure upon them. This brought poverty upon them. And so it's to a church in shock and crisis who now looks back at the early church period as some kind of honeymoon period. They thought of Pentecost and the gospel going out. There were challenges there, but now from this perspective of the present, looking back, the honeymoon seemed to be over and a shaking, a crisis had begun. Now, I don't think our situation in Australia is comparable to what was happening in the early church. But we do find ourselves in the midst of several global crises all happening at once. I think back to the past when sometimes the news would be quite boring (laughs) and you just assumed that the world would continue, that you could jump on a plane, that countries looked functional, that the economy was going to continue to grow. So many of our foundations are currently being shaken across the world. And so the question is, will crisis bring renewal? And Revelation adds a caveat, it depends. And we'll find out on what it depends. Revelation then comes and does something really interesting for a people in the midst of a crisis. It doesn't offer a comforting book which is designed to beset the anxiety of a church who are feeling anxious about their place in the world. Because the book of Revelation comes to a church who, despite the crisis, actually finds itself in complacency, in compromise, heresy is growing, toxic members of the church are wreaking so much trouble. And so revelation comes actually as shock and awe. Its symbolism, its themes are used to shock us out of our complacency and compromise. This is heavy metal scripture, very different to other parts of the Bible in the genre of language it uses. And the genre of language is sometimes described as apocalyptic. The book of Revelation, Revelation in the Greek, means apocalypse. An apocalypse we hear and we think of some end of world movie about Godzilla or a meteor striking the world or a zombie apocalypse. But actually apocalypse in the Greek means a revealing. And what Jesus does for John, stuck on an island, and what he does for his whole church is he unveils the whole picture. Things are not as they seem. Daryl Johnson says this about the book of Revelation. In Revelation, Jesus lifts the cover, pulls back the curtain, and lets John in on the most important unseen reality of the present. And it changed the way John coped with what was going on in the world and in his personal life. Revelation teaches us that there is more going on than what we can see. In Revelation, we're taught that what looks powerful may actually be weak. And what looks weak when we see the spiritual dimension, when we see the heavenly dimension, actually may be strong. 
that a man in exile on an island actually can then have a message delivered from Christ Jesus himself to refresh his church, that a church up against the wall actually can be a church filled with power and renewal. The crises can lead to renewal when we see the whole picture. And so, just these first words, as we introduce ourselves to the book, these first words of these first eight or so verses of Revelation tells us some important things we need to know going forward in this book, but also we need to know now as the church and individuals. The first one is that Revelation is not a scary book. It's not a frightening book. When I mentioned to some people that we were doing the book of Revelation, I got reactions like, whoa, okay, like, you know, strap yourself in. People were actually thinking that the symbolism, you can understand this, some of the symbolism is extreme, but it has a purpose. Other people worry that the book of Revelation is going to send us down some path where we end up speculating on all these different things happening in the global order to try and get the Rubik's Cube right to understand what's going to happen. But actually, what does the book of Revelation say about itself? It actually says this unveiling This apocalypse is a blessing. The unveiling is a blessing. It says this in verse 3, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart what is written in it because the time is near. Revelation is not a book that we should steer away from as we preach through the Bible because it's too weird. What scripture, what Jesus is saying here is actually this is exactly the kind of book we should be reading at the moment. And as we wrestle with its themes, the output should not be fear or endless speculation or division amongst the people of God, that actually the purpose of this book for a church in crisis is to be blessed is to actually be led and comforted and shown the true picture of what reality looks like. The second thing that we find in this initial beginning of the book of Revelation is that this unveiling, this apocalypse reveals who the church is. We often think of churches as red church here in this whole season where we've been living through a pandemic and all of a sudden we can't meet in a building in different services and congregations like we're used to meeting that actually people have asked the question, well, what is the church? Is the church a building? Is it a service? And we have all these things where we throw them away as cliches. You know, the church isn't a building, it's a people. But that's really been put to the test during this time. Who is the church? We've seen these moments where churches are actually collaborating And is the church the local church? Is it your congregation? Is it that group of churches? What is the church in this time? And what the book of Revelation does, and we'll explore this more in the coming weeks, is John and then us gets this insight into the spiritual reality of the church. The church is not a group of people who decided to get together and do some Christian stuff. The group is not the bunch of people who are the leaders in that church or the people who vote over there, or it's not this brand that's over a church or that denomination over there. The spiritual reality of the church is revealed 
in the book of Revelation, and it's actually inspiring. It's actually liberating. And at this moment where we can't meet like we normally meet, what a message to actually show us who we really are as the church. Also revealed, following directly on from that, is it shows us who the church is, but it shows us who we are. And this great theme that we've been seeing appear again and again over the last couple of, of, of years, really, of preaching at Red is revealed in Revelation 1 verse 6. Christ Jesus has made us to be a kingdom. Just think about that for a second. A kingdom is an ultimate political reality, an ultimate rule of authority to actually what's happening in the world. You are made to be a kingdom. You participate in a different reality and revelation unveil, un, uh, unveils and shows you what that reality is. And we are also made, continuing on, to be a kingdom and priests, to serve his God and Father. To him be the glory and power forever and ever. Amen. We are part of a kingdom. We are royal priests. Who you think you are is too small. The book of Revelation reveals something. It pulls back the curtain and it shows who you really are. And at this moment, as we have been in this current configuration of the church, this diffusion of power to the people of God, that is an invitation that is before us. But again, remember, crisis doesn't always lead to renewal. It leads to renewal when we see the whole picture. And lastly, the most exciting, I think, with central theme of the book of Revelation is that the unveiling reveals that Jesus is coming. The book of Revelation is all about Jesus. This is this shock and awe revelation of who Jesus is, the ascended Jesus, the risen Jesus, the Jesus who walked amongst us, the Jesus who is at the right hand of the Father, but also the Jesus who is bringing the kingdom of heaven down to earth and who will reign at the end of time in the new Jerusalem. And so when we hear this coming, and again too, this is why some people get freaked out by the book of Revelation is we just think of coming in a singular sense. And so what Revelation tells us is, yes, Jesus is coming finally. We don't know when that is. The scriptures promise that Jesus will return to his people and heaven and earth will be reunited at the end of this age. Jesus returns. But then also what Revelation is telling us is that in every age, Jesus is continually coming. G.K. Bill says it this way. Christ's coming in Revelation is understood as a process occurring throughout history. So that his second coming is actually a final coming, concluding the whole process of comings. So what this is saying is Jesus will return. There's a point where he's coming back. That's the second coming. Jesus will return to, inaugural, to, to bring about his kingdom on earth fully. That's happening. We don't know when that is, but that will happen. Maybe in our lifetime, maybe not. We don't know. But also what this is saying is that in a different way, Jesus is continually ready to come 
in every age. We will see in a few, in a couple of weeks, as we dig into some of the letters to the different churches, we see this imagery that, that Revelation has for us of Jesus at the door knocking. Jesus is always waiting to come. And at this moment of crisis, there is this coming of Jesus that is occurring. That actually, crisis precedes renewal only when Jesus comes. And what happens in crisis is why crisis sometimes leads to renewal is because crisis makes us realize actually how weak we we truly are. So much of the modern world is actually based on this belief. If you study history and philosophy, you realize that so much of the modern world that we live in is based on the belief that, that modern people like us have actually beaten nature. That actually we don't sit here in fear of being attacked by wild animals. We have shelter. We have food. That's one of the great tenets. But what the pandemic has done has shown us that we're not in control of nature. A little microbe from from another side of the world has actually brought the entire world to a standstill. And what we've seen even in the last few weeks as protests around the world over racism and injustice have shown us not only are we not in control of nature, we're not in control of human nature. That despite all our supposed progression and all our ability to control things in the human heart, there still lies anger and hatred. And what this season is telling us is we're not as good and powerful as we think as humans. And as we push into the humbleness of this moment, when we actually push our eyes down to us trying to continually conquer the horizon, it's at that moment of humility that actually we see Jesus is coming and we open the door to him. Renewal is Jesus coming again. And that's not going to happen for everyone. Crisis won't necessarily lead to renewal. We have to let him in. We have to recognize him as triumphant. We have to choose to see what's behind the curtain as Jesus lifts us for us. And to actually see there's a bigger picture, a greater story in the world. Revelation's not a scary book. It's got some full-on imagery. But that needs to come and shock us. So we don't look back to the honeymoon period when everything seemed peaceful, but actually look to what God is doing in this moment. And in this moment, God wants to renew. Jesus is coming to your heart. Jesus is coming to your home. Jesus is coming to our church. Jesus is coming to our city, our nation, and our world. Will we recognize? Will we see the whole picture? This is what Revelation invites us to. And we've got a fantastic journey in front of us. So let's pray as we let this message sit inside of our hearts. Jesus, we recognize that this moment with so many things happening in the world that we can see the world through one set of lenses. 
of a world in chaos where no one seems to be in control. We also can see Jesus that we can just shut that off and just watch the latest reality TV show that we can just focus on our own little world. But we realize that neither of these ways of looking at the world are correct, that there is history, there is the world, but there's also something else. There is the heavenly dimension. You in your throne room. You are the controls of the world, that you are coming and you want to come and renew. Jesus, we desperately don't want to fall into complacency or compromise during this crisis that we're experiencing. Our heart is that we as individuals, we as the church, we as cultures and nations and a globe will be renewed by you, Jesus. That people will come to know you for the first time. People will come to fall in love with you again. We realize that there's no way out of this except through you. So we pray that your spirit comes. We pray that we may accept our powerlessness at this moment. We just pray now that your Holy Spirit will begin to fill individuals, fill houses. The Spirit of Jesus fills these spaces, flowing into who wants to open that door. So Jesus, we open that door to you. We invite you in to sup with us. We receive what you have for us. In your name.